Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. We're glad that you're here to worship with us and to open God's Word. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning as we go to the Word together and uh, in this beautiful time of, of the Christmas season. And uh, I've, I've been looking over this passage all week and just praying that the Lord would show me afresh and anew uh, the truths contained herein. And I, I pray that He does that today. In fact, Let's go to the Lord together in prayer and just ask Him to work through His Word today. Father, today, what a privilege it is to open this book that You have given us to see and to know the mysteries that You have revealed through the ages that apply to us even today in 2021, far removed, it seems, from the time and place of the events that we read, but knowing, Lord, that really very little has changed that we are still in a broken world, still in a world of confusion, a world that is lost and in need of salvation. And Lord, you've not left us without a testimony of the truth. And I pray that today our eyes would be open, our hearts would be open to what you would say to us through your word and through your spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of the popular Christmas songs of our time is a little ditty called, Mary Did You Know? Mary, did you know? And this song simply offers various snippets of different biblical or gospel accounts of things that Jesus did. Jesus' mighty acts and his miracles, such as walking on the water, healing the blind man, calming the storms with his voice and his power. And throughout the song, it continually ponders the question, Mary, did you know? Almost as if to indicate that maybe Mary really had very little idea of who the baby Jesus was. You know, I think it's true for all of us as parents. When we have a, a little child, we wonder, what will this child grow to be? What will they do in their lifetimes that may be spectacular things? And so all of these things that Jesus would do, the song asks, Mary, did you know? Did you have any inkling? that Jesus would grow up to do these amazing things. And then the song echoes several distinctive Christian doctrinal truths, much like the things we sang today about who Jesus really was, his identity. Mary, did you know that the child that you delivered will soon save and deliver you? Did you know that your baby boy who is taking his first steps, or maybe is not yet a toddler, but you dream of the day. Actually, we, we reel at the day when our toddlers begin to walk and get in the kitchen cabinets and all our stuff, right? But, but Mary, did you know that this little baby that you're watching take his first steps has already walked where angels trod? Mm. And when you kiss the little baby, what? You kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? Did you know that your baby boy is the Lord of all creation, that he will one day rule the nations? He's heaven's perfect lamb. Mary, did you know? That is basically the song. Asking, Mary, did you know any of this? Were you without a clue or did you actually know? And in the book of Luke, writing in the early days of this 
rapidly spreading faith called Christianity. The followers of Jesus were telling about this Jesus who died on the cross, who had done many miracles. And he died on the cross and he was buried in the tomb and he rose from the dead and he sent his spirit. And this, this movement called Christianity was moving all across the world and the doctor, theologian, slash missionary named Luke has now undertaken to write and research all about this movement. And he begins his gospel in such a way. Dear Theophilus, I thought it good, just like everyone else has been doing, to write about the things, to write about the faith, and to do so by going back and researching these things and giving you a well-ordered account. And so he goes back to the very beginning of really the Christmas story, the story of Jesus. And what he tells us, what we will find today in Luke chapter 1, is that in fact, Mary did know much of this, even before Jesus was born. So let's review part of the Christmas story together. Luke 1, verses 26 through 38, about the time when Mary learned about this Christ child that she was to deliver. And in it, hey, we're not just concerned about what Mary learned, but we want to know the truth. We too need to learn and to know about this Jesus who is the Christ. So let's read Luke 1, verse 26, on through verse 38. Now in the sixth month of the in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. First of all, we see Mary and the messenger from heaven in verses 26 through 30. Mary and the messenger from heaven. First of all, the messenger from heaven. There is this angel, and his name is Gabriel, and he's sent by God. Gabriel, the angelic messenger, was dispatched by the God of heaven at the beginning of the story and told to go down to earth. Now listen, it's almost as if it's just given right here, oh, yeah, this angel named Gabriel, God sent him down to earth. And we could easily read into that, you know, 
Angelic sightings are commonplace. And I probably should not ask how many of you have had angelic sightings and messengers. You know, because we would look at you and go, eh, you're nuts. Now, it's not to say that there are angels who are ministering spirits in the Bible. It would be easy to just pass over this and go, man, is the Bible basically saying that angelic messengers were commonplace? No, it's not saying that at all. Gabriel has already been introduced in Luke chapter 1. Previous to this, he came to Zechariah and Mary's cousin, a lady, well, didn't come to Elizabeth, but they are married. They've been barren. They haven't had children. And the angel comes and announces a pregnancy that's going to take place there. So we've been introduced to Gabriel earlier in this chapter. And in that introduction, when he's talking to Zechariah, here's what Gabriel, I say he, The name is masculine. Gabriel, this angelic messenger, says this, I am Gabriel who stands in the very presence of God. I'm a messenger from God Almighty to tell you something. And so we're not meant to think that angelic sightings and messages are commonplace. In fact, it's quite the opposite. That when we see all of these angelic appearances and heavenly hosts and things like that, we're to understand that actually something out of this world, something that is not commonplace at all, is taking place in this story. And so here is Gabriel sent to a region called Galilee. Now, Galilee is in the northern part of what we know as the country of Israel. But Galilee at this time was really flooded with Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And so it wasn't a place that, you know, the Jews were like, oh yeah, this is where we all hang out. No, mainly it was a, a Gentile place. And then there's a little village named Nazareth named Nazareth, and that's where Mary and her fiancé, if you will, live. Now, she is a virgin. She is legally bound to this man in a thing called betrothal, which was legally binding, but it was an engagement that could not be easily broken off, but they weren't married yet, all right? They had not come together, and so Mary was probably, we don't know, maybe 13, 14 years of age, could very well be, and they're engaged, and they live in this little village called Nazareth. Many people believe that the word Nazareth comes from the root Nizer, which means a branch, a branch. You see, Nazareth was a place in this Gentile region where there were Jewish people. Specifically, they were of the line of David, the Davidic, the kingly line. And it's interesting that they live in this place that could be translated the branch. Because there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that God would send from the very line of David, from the stump, if you will, of the Davidic king that had been cut off, he would send up a shoot or a branch out of that line who would be the king, the savior of the world that was sent from heaven. And so the angel comes, this is Gabriel, and he's talking to Mary, and he gives a positive greeting. He says, blessed are you, you know, favor to you from God. The Lord is with you. That's a really nice thing. And Mary's like, what do you want? I I don't understand about this. She's she's perplexed about it. She's troubled, it says, by this greeting. How many of you are troubled when someone gives you a really nice greeting? Yeah, we're so cynical. We're like, what do you want? You know, what's the angle here? And here is Mary, and she's, she's... troubled 
by this greeting. And I thought about why would she be troubled? Even, even Bible scholars and commentators disagree on why Mary was troubled. I guess I'm sitting there and I'm studying this. I'm going, well, it is an angel. I think I would be troubled if an angel came and appeared to me and said, you know, blessed are you, highly favored and all of this. The Lord is with you. I'm like, what's fixing to happen? What is going on here? And she is troubled, but I actually don't think that's what's going on. I think it's this positive greeting and this idea that the Lord is with you. He is showing his favor and his blessing to you because I believe that Mary lived in a very tumultuous and difficult time. I believe her life was probably exceedingly hard. I don't know about you, but when I was engaged and first married, I I mean, I got stomach ulcers and all kinds of things. I had to go to see the doctor. It was such a stressor because, you know, you're you're figuring out all of these things. And it could be that Mary is highly distressed. It had nothing to do with my wife, by the way. You know, it was just me. And I was stressed about it. And and here is Mary. And I think she's got a very difficult life. And she's looking at the uh, Roman occupation and looking at all these Gentiles around her. And it was very difficult to live as a godly woman in that day and and to feel safe and all of that and and she's thinking yeah highly favored I don't feel highly favored in this life maybe that's why she's troubled because it doesn't seem to match up with her life all right but she receives this angelic messenger from heaven named Gabriel and Gabriel didn't just drop in to say howdy Merry Christmas he actually had a very specific message from the very throne room of God. And now I want us to see that and consider the mysteries that Mary heard from the lips of the angel Gabriel. And those are found in verses 31 through 35. And I think as I was studying this passage, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in all kinds of Christmas trappings and in our feelings and emotions and traditions about the Christmas story and that warm, fuzzy feeling. But as I was studying this, I realized, you know, really that the heart of what this passage is doing is teaching us something about Jesus. Teaching Mary, who is this Christ child? This child, Mary, that you will deliver, this is who he is. And so, in fact, the title of the sermon, Mary, you did know. That wasn't a typo if you saw it somewhere. Mary, you did know. It comes from this idea that the Angel Gabriel tells Mary some very specific things about who Jesus is. And listen, we need to hear these things. This passage is calling us to believe some supernatural things. This passage blows our minds and reformulates maybe the way we think about life and God and heaven and earth. This is astounding stuff. And really, I want to sum up, because I think that's what is there in verses 31 through 35. I want to sum up the mysteries that Mary heard using three theological or doctrinal terms that I think we need to know and we need to consider what they mean. These doctrinal terms or theological phrases represent the specific things that are taught by Gabriel to Mary. And these really are foundational to the Christian faith. Now, first of all, let me say this. This passage is one, if you reread it carefully, you're going to see that it's one of many in the New Testament that teach something very specific about God, namely that God is triune. 
there is Trinity. Now, it doesn't use that phrase, but what we find in this passage is there is God the Father, there is God the Eternal Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. You can look in verse 32, for instance, the Lord God the Most High, that is the Father enthroned. And then there is Jesus, his princely or kingly son who will reign over his kingdom forever and ever. And then in verse 35, there is the life imparting Holy Spirit. And these three persons are one God. So it teaches us a vital truth. I was reading this week a book called Delighting in the Trinity by, I think it's a guy named Michael Reeves, if I remember right. And I wrote down, as I was reading that, I wrote down some quotes I want to share with you about this book, about the idea of his thesis, which was basically this, that the Trinity is not just some ancillary thing over here that theologians can argue about, but it doesn't really matter. Reeves' argument is that the Trinity is foundational, it is central to the Christian faith, and it is beautiful. And actually, it teaches us all kinds of things that we need to know and embrace. And some of what he writes about the beauty and centrality of the triune God, I think applies to this passage in teaching us about who Jesus is. So here's a quote for you. Actually, it's a string of quotes. Here's what Reeves says in Delighting in the Trinity. Christianity, listen to this, is not about making moral changes to your life, primarily. He says, Christianity is about knowing God and the identity of our God. And that is what makes Christianity unique. Every religion has some kind of God. And just because someone says, I believe in God, doesn't mean that they believe in the true God or the Christian God, the God that is revealed in the Bible and that was revealed even in this passage to Mary. So it's important that Christians be clear and be specific about the God we believe in. That's what Reeves writes. It's this God, the triune God, who has eternally existed in loving fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's one of the things Reeves asked. Good question for us. How can God be love? How could his very essence and nature be eternally loving if there was a time when God the Father existed by himself outside of the fellowship of the Trinity? That's really part of the thesis of his book. In no way can God the Father truly be, in his essence, loving if there is not the eternal Son and the eternal Spirit. So I say all that to say I think it's important that we draw some doctrinal lines and say, what does the Bible teach about who God is? Specifically today from this passage, I'm going to show you three distinct biblical truths, doctrinal truths about who Jesus is. Things that Mary learned from the angel Gabriel. And thus we need to know about Jesus. Number one, Jesus was born of a virgin. So the doctrinal truth, truth is the virgin birth. Mary had never been with a woman. And somehow, and again, you, you read it closely, and the angel doesn't really say, or at least Luke doesn't write down, when the pregnancy is going to occur. But Mary is astounded when she hears that she's going to deliver a son because she says, even though I'm betrothed, I've never been with a man. How can these things be? She understands that God is saying that the conception that's going to take place in your womb is not going to happen 
through sexual union, like every other birth, occurs. All right? Mary was told that she would conceive a child in her womb, but it would be done when the Holy Spirit overshadows or comes upon you. Now, some people say, well, this is just like some Greek mythology and things that pagans have told. But if you read those things, they were talking about something quite different about gods having sex with women and all that kind of thing. And this doesn't say that. This is not vile like that. Here's what it says. There's no sexual union. It's, this, it's just this. The Holy Spirit is going to cause you to miraculously conceive in your womb. It's the virgin birth through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, not a human father. And this is important. You know, the Bible says, actually, or indicates that sin is transmitted down from the line of Adam, actually, through the male. And you women are like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> but that, that's what the Bible indicates. All right? That, that, that sin, that's not to say that women are sinless or anything like that, right? But, but that it's passed down. And here in Jesus, God is doing something very unique in a very specific way. He is breaking that line of inheritance of sin through Adam's line. Interesting, here you go, and I can't spend much time on this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after sin comes into the world, but then God gives a prophecy, he says this, basically, that I'm going to save the world, and I'm going to do it through, what? The seed of the woman. So Jesus, coming about through the virgin birth in a very real and specific way, fulfills that prophecy of God that he will bring salvation by his own power but he'll do it through the seed of the woman not the seed of man and so Jesus did not inherit a human sin nature from Adam's line look at verse 35 you're saying where in the world are you getting this look at verse 35 the angel answered and said to her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and for that reason the holy child shall be called the son of God he's a holy child pure and undefiled does not have the sin nature. <coughs> the virgin born and conceived Jesus is, would be, the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God who could then take away the sins of the world because he was not implicated in them. So the first doctrine is the virgin birth. And this is actually vital to our understanding of who Jesus is, really. And what he came to do and how God accomplished salvation through him. The second one is what we call the incarnation. Now you've heard this term. We even sang about it today. The incarnation speaks of the astounding reality that the Christ child would not be an ordinary child and ruler. But rather he would be the son of God coming in human flesh. With a human body. Jesus was miraculously conceived. But listen to this. He was still fully human. Fully human. The old theologians would say he is fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. The incarnation is this, that God came and wrapped himself, if you will, took on a real human body and human flesh. Jesus was born in the same manner that all people are. Well, some come by C-section, maybe. Very few of you born in a barn. Or some of you act like you were. <laughs> he was born 
He cried. I'm sure he dirtied diapers or whatever they had. All the human bodily functions Jesus experienced. Okay? He, he had a mind. It says of Jesus that he grew in stature and in learning and in favor. He actually learned things. He read. All right? He had emotions. We see that Jesus, at the loss of a friend, wept. He was not some kind of robot. He was fully human. The Bible even says that Jesus endured the same temptations just like you and I. Yet he faced them and was without sin. He overcame those temptations. But listen to this. He took on full human existence. That's who Jesus was. Fully human. And even after the resurrection, and in the resurrection, and in the ascension, did Jesus molt or cast off his human body? No. He had received a resurrected body that was fit for heaven. I believe that Jesus has a human resurrection body even today and will forever. And when he comes again, the Bible says he'll do so bodily. So Jesus has a human existence. And I think this is significant. You go, well, what are we really talking about here? Does it really matter? Yes, it matters. Part of the significance of the incarnation is that God is not oblivious to human life and human suffering and human temptation. And God cares about bodily existence, human existence. There is a really dangerous way of thinking about Jesus and of God that they are just heavenly and spiritual and really don't have much use for earthly things. That's heresy. Jesus took on human flesh. He came to this world, and I'm going to say something to you. God cares about your body, about your life, about things on earth, not just things above the earth, all right? I got to tell you all this. I don't know how, I better be careful what all I tell you. I was uh, at a flea market there uh, this weekend at home, and I was looking for a little fireplace set, and I go... And uh, there's all these guys, older guys, sitting around. And I came up. And I thought, How are you guys doing? Y'all solving the world's problems? And they said, we're talking about sex. And I go, I just want a fireplace set, man. And, and uh, one of the guys knew I was a pastor. The rest didn't. And uh, so I just sit down. And, and I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And so they're talking. And so at a, at a moment of silence, I say, hey, uh, how much for the little fireplace set? And he's like, six bucks. I said, oh, man, I think I only have three, you know, which was true. And I said, let me go to the car and see how much mo truck I see how much money I got. And I go to the, the truck. And I know what's going to take place up here while I'm gone away. The guy who knows I'm a preacher, a friend of mine, is filling them in on you guys. I can just see it on his face when they're talking. He's like, you guys cool it. That's a preacher. So I go and I did only have three bucks. We'll take up a love offering later for the rest. I owe him. And, and I go, I'm like, man, I only got three bucks. Oh, so you're a preacher. <coughs> I was like, yeah, what do you want to talk about now? <laughs> Same thing. And so here, here's the deal. Again, without going into gory details, uh, at least one of these guys claimed to be a Christian and he was living in a lifestyle, this is an old guy, living in a lifestyle of sin, sexual sin. And they began to just drill me with questions, you know, and I was just like, well, you know this, and we talked about the Bible, and they could quote the Bible just nearly as good as I could. And here's what it came down to. You know what? 
God doesn't really care what I do in this life with this body. He knows that I'm just human. And I, I really can't do anything about my temptations and my urges other than to fulfill them. But basically, I, here's what I heard. Basically, I said a prayer a long time ago and I'm going to heaven. And that's what really matters. God doesn't really care about anything that I do in this body and on this earth. And I'm going to tell you something. The incarnation says something quite a bit different. That God does care about our sin-wracked bodies. And he came to even redeem our bodies and to redeem this world. And I'll say this to you. 1 John chapter 3 teaches this. Those who deny that Jesus the Christ came in the flesh do not have the Father. They do not have the Father. If we deny Jesus' fleshly existence and the importance of our bodies and of this life, we have left Christianity altogether. That's 1 John chapter 3. God cares about all aspects of our human existence. Lastly, theological things that we learn from this story, things that Mary learned from Gabriel, is the divinity of Christ. That is the divine nature. So we learn about the virgin birth, which really has to do with God taking on flesh in the person of Jesus and the fact that Jesus the Son is the eternal Son of God. He is fully and eternally God. And there's this tendency, because this is a mystery of sorts, it seems like a paradox, we find it very difficult to affirm both, that Jesus was fully human and also fully God at the same time. And yet that's what it teaches. Jesus is the eternal God, the eternal Son of God. It says in verse 35 that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Almost a hundred, I think I read that 124 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to capital S, capital M, uh, capital G, the Son of God, the only begotten Son, signifying this, that He is eternally God. He is the only Son of God. John chapter 1, if you want to read about Jesus and the pre-incarnate existence of Jesus, you can read it there. That in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Before creation, not anything was created or made, but what was made in conjunction with between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the eternal Son of God. This is important. It even hints at it when it says, and also, not only did He eternally exist before with the Father, He will eternally reign in God's kingdom. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and His kingdom will have no end. You say, okay, I get it. It just seems like a bunch of stuff that, that people argue about in seminary. No, no, no. This is central to the doctrines and the truths of Christianity. Again, I would point you back to 1 John. You know, this really cuts against our grain. It's hard for us to think about this. That people could just have wrong ideas and miss Christianity and salvation altogether. Just affirm wrong things and they've totally missed it. But that's what the Bible teaches. Because it matters what God you worship. 
It impacts your heart and your soul and your life and your eternity. 1 John 2, verse 22, you can write that down and reference it later. But it says this, that anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is of the Antichrist. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the eternal Son of God, has believed a lie from the devil and says this, any person who denies that Jesus is the Christ does not have the Father. And so you've got a lot of little groups out there in religions that we would call cults, all right, that they say, I believe in God. I believe in the triune God. Well, sort of. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is a great man, great teacher, did some miraculous things. He did some great things, was very sacrificial. But I don't actually believe that he's the eternal son of God. And that says, you have marred the identity of Jesus. You have missed who he is and what he's all about. And the fact is, you can't worship Jesus if you don't believe that he's God. And so this says the divinity of Christ, he is fully and eternally God. Let's move on to the very last point of this story in verses 37 through 8. Here's what's amazing and great about Mary. We see Mary's mature faith and her humility. The angel offers Mary a sign because he knows, you know, the angel is giving some pretty mm, radical claims here. He says, consider this, your cousin, Elizabeth, who has been barren, her and her husband have never been able to have children. And not only that, they're really old, they're past childbearing years. Elizabeth is actually pregnant, six months pregnant. God has done this thing, done a miracle in her life and offers it as a sign and then says this, is anything impossible with God? If you're here today and you're struggling a little bit with the idea that God took on flesh or that this man was fully God and the claims of Christianity, I want to just ask you something. If you believe that God is the creator of all, he was outside of creation, outside of time, and he spoke everything into existence, that he is all-powerful and all-knowing. Is this too hard a thing to do? To come and take on human flesh? Is anything impossible with God? Answer, nothing is impossible for God. If he can create the world and the universe and all that exists, he can enter into that creation. Why should we be surprised that God comes among man and fellowships with him? Comes and lives among us when the Bible actually opens up that way. That God created man and this world and all the animals and walked in the garden and fellowshiped with man. That's what God created us for. And all we see happening here is God doing it in a really great way. Coming among men again to fellowship and work out our salvation for us. And Mary hears these things and she responds with what I call mature faith, mature childlike faith. I think she ponders the question, is there anything that God cannot do? No. He can do whatever he wants. And she says, let it be as you have said. I believe this. I submit myself. She gives her consent, if you will. She fully knows what she's getting into. Hey, I guarantee you, Mary, more than anyone else, knew what lay ahead. Can you imagine how her relatives responded, this unmarried woman, when she comes and 
She's got the baby bump and she says, I'm pregnant, but let me tell you, I'm pure. I've never been with a man. Uh Uh-huh, sure. She knows exactly what this means and she believes. She trusts in the Lord. Knew she would be ridiculed for it. She responds with humble faith. The last time that Gabriel appeared, earlier in in, uh, Luke chapter 1, she comes to a priest, a religious leader and teacher. And when Gabriel comes and tells something that seems a little bit supernatural or or outside of the physical realm, you know what he responds? Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) A religious guy. And here she is, this young child, and she simply responds with humility and with faith. The Bible says that Mary stored up and treasured and pondered these things in her heart. Hey, listen, the Christmas story is amazing. I'll tell you, it's supernatural. And I don't think we're meant to just think, oh, isn't that a quaint little cute little story? I think it's meant to blow our minds. And we need to think about these things. I'm going to do something a little different to close our service. I'm going to actually close in prayer here in a little bit. But I I heard this song called I Still Believe in Christmas that presents some of these truths and then talks a little bit maybe about how they apply to our lives. And so I'm going to let you listen and follow along with this song here in just a second. And here's what I want to do. It's about three minutes. I want you to read along with the words and listen. It's a beautiful song. talks about some of the truths that this story proclaims. And I want you to do what Mary did. I want you to ponder these things. I want you to think about them. And I want you to hear that statement or question from the angel. Is anything impossible with God? Maybe you're an older Christian. You've been a Christian a long time. And the story of Christmas has lost some of its wonder for you. I want to invite you to believe again. To consider again this, that God so loved the world. The love of God, the love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit that existed forever. God broke into the world in the person of Jesus that we might share in that fellowship and that love. That's the story of Christmas, that God loves you. So I want you to ponder these things. I'm going to ask you to believe them again, to receive them anew, receive the love of God and the Savior that He has sent and worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who left the glory of heaven and by way of a virgin's womb and the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit was born into the world in a dingy little stable a long time ago and lived a perfect sinless life and did many miracles and died on the cross for your sins and for mine and was raised to life and he overcame sin and death and the grave so that you might share in his resurrection and have the fellowship of the Trinity and come into the family. So Clayton's going to play this song and follow along and then I'll close us in prayer. You bow with me as we close in prayer. Father, we are startled just a little bit by this story about heaven breaking into a, a world and 
And yet we look around at our own world and time in which we live and we know that there is brokenness and hopelessness and there is war and fighting and there is a lack of hope. There is fear, there is anxiety, there is loneliness. There is an aching sense in our hearts that this world is not as we would hope it to be. And Lord, we know that it's not as you hope it would be. But you did something about it. You sent your son. And we're thankful for the coming into our world, your world, to share in all that we experience and to lead us into light and hope and freedom and salvation. Lord, you lead the way. And we're thankful because we could not find it on our own. And I pray today, Lord, that you would shine the light and the message of hope and love and a future into every heart of every person in this room. That you would just explode in our souls the joy of the fact that you've not forsaken us, you've not forgotten us, but you love us. And you invite us in to the fellowship that you've had, Father, Son, and Spirit, for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts today, guide us and lead us and help us. Help us where we lack faith. Help us to believe the truths contained in your word and in this story and in the coming of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I hope y'all have a great week. Merry Christmas to you. And uh, we're going to start, or have our little business meeting here starting about five or ten minutes. Be very brief. All right, so Merry Christmas.